the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show. We finish yet another week as time just flies by. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you just heard the announcer say, this is the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions, whatever you're going through or dealing with. I'll do the best I can to answer. I made somebody else angry today, so I'll get to that one in just a moment. Um, To get your questions answered, you can call us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You can use the hands-free feature of your phone. Just hit call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our main number is 340-9585. It's Friday. We're all getting ready for a weekend in church. Just let the Lord use you to minister to somebody else. Um, we've got uh, our service tonight at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be teaching um, still in Hebrews chapter 11. Actually, I think it's the next to last study in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and then, uh, of course, on Sunday, I'm going to be teaching in the Gospel of Luke. Let me get right to some questions that have been sent in while we wait your phone calls. I'd love to finish the week strong with some phone calls. Here is... First question, it comes from our mobile app, and it's anonymous. And he or she wants to know, is Psalm 134 a specific prayer for leaders or for pastors of today? Uh, Psalm 34, the really, really short psalm, three verses. It is the 15th and final psalm of a sense. Sort of like the cherry on top of the Sunday. Uh, It says, Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. These psalms are, are songs of worship, obviously. But... Um, yeah, they can be applied to pastors and or leaders, but this isn't just for those. Remember, in the beginning, all you servants of the Lord, and we are all servants of God, especially in our New Testament context, uh, we're servants of the Lord. And, and what he's saying is all service needs to be accompanied by praise. I think we forget that. There's a lot of us who get lost in duty. You know, I got to do this. God wants me to do this. But we forget to praise the Lord. Now, what would we praise the Lord for, you might ask? Well, the answer is so simple, that we get to be included in God's plan. You know, as a pastor, 
I'm, I marvel still after over 24 years. I marvel still that God lets me do this, that he's chosen me to do this. But honestly, it doesn't matter whether you're the pastor in a church or you're ch- teaching in children's ministry or you're being an usher uh, in, in, the, in the, the greeting people. Um, doesn't matter whether you're doing something you consider important or unimportant. We all ought to praise the Lord. Let me give you one example. One of the things I pray every Sunday, and I pray a lot for our worship teams here at Calvary Chapel. You know, they have the responsibility and the privilege of leading people like me who have no talent into the throne room of God. And my prayer for them is always this, that they would recognize first and foremost the privilege that they've been given by God by virtue of of having the gifts that they've been given. That they would, by um, um, simply the privilege and honor of being on stage, understand what a privilege it is and they would praise the Lord themselves. One of the traps, and praise the Lord, not here at Calvary Chapel uh, in our years here, but but I've seen too many worship team participants focus so much on the music that they lose the praise of the Lord. I see people becoming more conscious of the quality of the performance rather than the quality of their hearts. So my prayer for them every Sunday morning as I go out and walk with the Lord is, Lord, that they would be overwhelmed by your goodness that allows them to be on that stage with the opportunity of leading people into into worship. You know, I, I, I'm going off base here, but I think this is such an important principle, praising the Lord no matter what it is you're doing. Um, here at Calvary Chapel, I come on stage toward the end of the final song. And I, I want to be ready to go when when they're done worshiping and people, I can say, good morning, welcome to Calvary Chapel. And then we can get right into Bible study. But that's not really why I do it. The reason I come up when I do is because for two, three, four minutes during that last bit of worship, I get to listen to the congregation worship. And for a moment, I get to feel what it's like. Just for a moment, I get to feel what it's like to be on stage leading others into worship. Now, I'm not doing any worship, but the idea is privilege and honor. So the idea here is praise the Lord, those of you who are servants of the Lord. In the next verse, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Um, I think that's literally lift up our hands. I would also add our heads and hearts to the Lord. Don't be afraid to worship the Lord and be expressive in doing so. And then from the stage looking out, the final verses, may the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. I get the privilege of pronouncing uh, a benediction, pronouncing the Lord's blessing on the people uh, who come to church every day. So I think it's a, it's a prayer for all of us, Anonymous, not just a prayer for pastors or leaders. I love that, that psalm. Let's go to our next question. Why is this taking a long time? This is from our mobile app. From Christine, could you please explain what strange fire is and why it seems so controversial? Um, Christine, I don't know what you've been reading, but the strange fire idea here is um, um, worship the stranger. And I think that it goes back to the story of Nadab and Abihu Aaron's sons who were told very specifically uh, what uh, incense mixture to use, what formula to use, and it had to be done, and it was done the same way every time, but it could only be done that way, and they offered strange fire. They offered something else. In other words, their praise, their worship wasn't for God, but, but really they wanted to offer something to God, and of course that strange fire is what cost them their lives. Now, uh, in our church culture, Strange fire is a reference to a misuse of the gifts of the Spirit. 
uh, strange fire, I think, is a term that was coined or at least made popular by John MacArthur. He did a series of of um, messages on strange fire offered by the church, and it was very condemning of charismatic churches. Um, I, I think he missed the point. But strange fire is doing anything for God for any other reason than honoring God. And in this particular context, it speaks of worship, but it could be anything. You know, if you get up in the morning and you ask God's blessing and you say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours, but your motive isn't really for him, then you're offering strange fire. If you go out in the morning and try to do things in your own strength, you're offering God strange fire. And um, you know, too often we want to serve... Uh, in our own strength instead of in the power of God's Spirit. Paul and I talked about this on the program yesterday. Um, But in this context, the controversy, I think, is over the division between charismatic churches and churches that believe the gifts of the Spirit have stopped. And I always tell people, Christine, I'll tell you now, that the balance between those two positions is where the truth is. The gifts of the Spirit are for today. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 uh, surrounding chapter 13 tell us that that the motive for the gifts of the Spirit and the operation is love for others. And yet the operation has to be decent and in an orderly fashion. And it is, in fact, strange fire when we go into a church and we'll see everybody speaking in tongues at the same time or everybody prophesying. or It's just the balance is always where we're going to find Jesus. So that's why strange fire, what the current controversy is and has been. 340-9585, Nacho from our email inbox says, Why was it dark for six hours upon Christ's death on the cross? Did God require six hours to take away all of our sins? Was it because Jesus took six hours to die on the cross? Or was it the number six to show the world that it was because of man, six, then uh, I think Nacho means being the number of man, uh, that this had to happen, and it was for men that this had happened? You know, Nacho, there is no answer to your question uh, scripturally that we can prove. Uh, You know, when I read about Jesus hanging on that cross and suffering for six hours, first and foremost, we need to understand that it it took most people a lot longer than six hours to die. You remember, they were very surprised to see Jesus uh, was dead already. So uh, six hours, while it seems like a long time to suffer, and for Jesus it certainly was, um, but... Uh, it really wasn't that long compared to what others uh, who who were crucified had to endure. Um, I always just imagine in my own mind, and this is just for me, and you can do it, Nacho. But but again, there's no biblical evidence. Um, but but I always imagine those six hours being taken up by all of the names in the Lamb's Book of Life passing before him. You know, he was crucified before the foundation of the world. So so he knew what he was doing. He knew for whom he was dying. He could go down the corridor of time and space. And and just, again, this is very personal, and I think this is a great way to, to, to personalize your Bibles. Um, I, I always imagine him going through name after name after name after name, and then write it five hours and fifty nine seconds, and and uh, uh, going into that that last second, my name appeared before him. Ron Arbaugh is now righteous and pure. Ron Arbaugh's sins have been forgiven. And then I imagine him crying out, Father, it is finished. The debt, even Ron's debt, has been paid. I don't think there's any symbolism to the number six, six being the number of man in scriptures, but uh, I can't prove that it's not. Uh, I just think it took six hours because that's what it took. But um, again, personalizing it for me, Nacho, uh, is a real blessing to me. Here is a question from our email inbox from Sandra. This is the one who is mad at me. Pastor, you were answering a woman's question about President Trump on Wednesday. 
You refer to Trump as a repeated adulterer and having a potty mouth. Trump claims to be a Christian, and Jesus forgave Trump for his sins of adultery and made him president. Why are you blasting him on the air? I think you need to forgive the president and move on. Sandra, what I hope we can move on from is uh, this endless defending of a man, uh, whether he claims to be Christian or not, is of, of no relevance. This is a man who has demonstrated zero fruit of being a Christian. And when Christians blindly approve of his behavior, well, you know, God forgives. And so, no, we're responsible for our behavior. Jesus said, who much is given, much more is required. And and this is a man who's been given a lot by God. This is a man who has been uh, tasked with a great responsibility. And certainly we ought to be praying for him. But he's also a man who you say he claims to be a Christian. I don't know where you get that information other than a few so-called evangelical leaders were called to the White House and purportedly prayed for him to accept Christ before the election. But remember, it's not the profession of a man's mouth. It's the work that comes from his heart. And we Christians, and you weren't listening to what I said, we Christians will act like he's God's man when he's living a life in defiance of what the Word of God tells us to do. If he's really a believer, yes, Jesus forgave him, but there's still no excuse for the way he's living his life. There's no excuse for being mean-spirited and foul-mouthed. There's no excuse for constantly defending himself. I just studied this past Wednesday in Isaiah 53, and Jesus didn't defend himself when he was accused of the worst things. Uh, Our president can't stop defending himself. And every one of us as believers should want the real Jesus for our president. And just because he's conservative, now remember, Sandra, I told you, I told the audience, on this is the third letter I've gotten from this earlier conversation, that I'm glad he won especially in light of who his opponent was. I am a conservative man by nature, politically and, and, and practically. But at the same time, we Christians reek with hypocrisy. We will point out the faults of those who are on the left and overlook the sins in Donald Trump's life not blasting him on the air, I was asked a question. I have nothing against the president. I don't need to forgive him. His forgiveness doesn't come from me. It, forgive, it comes from God. And I can tell you this, Andrew, I pray for him often. I want him to be saved. But I also want you to think what a statement to the world it would be. A, a man who has done some really good things as president in an exceptionally hostile environment, especially since the last midterm elections. Imagine what a statement would be to the world if this were a man who was actually acting like Jesus. I also want to clarify one other thing. You said Jesus forgave Trump for his sins of adultery and made him president. Jesus didn't make him president. He was elected president. Uh, He wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't uh, saying, okay, I want Donald Trump. God's sovereignty doesn't extend to raising up a man. Now, certainly he knew Trump was going to win. But when we get a good president or a bad president, don't blame it on Jesus. He was made president by a process. And again, I'm glad that he was the one chosen. But Sanders is a believer. Your heart literally, literally ought to break every time this man misrepresents God, which is most of the time. The fact that he is pro-life, God bless him for that. But that doesn't excuse all of others. That's almost like saying, well, you know, I was really good for a week, Lord, so I'm going to mess up now. God only cares that the man or the woman who will be the president of this country would be somebody who would come on his or her knees to him and surrender. 
Let me ask you, Sandra, to read Philippians chapter 2, begin in verse 5. And tell me if you see any inclination of Donald Trump in there. The humility. Taking the low place. Read Galatians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control. See if there's even a hint of any of that fruit in this man's life. And again, as Christians, we've got to be honest. We've got to demonstrate integrity. And when we overlook the things this man has done and continues to do and say, the rest of the world looks at Christians like we're the biggest hypocrites in the world and we're not rightly representing Christ in the process. So Sandra, again, told the other woman when the one you were responding to I didn't I don't think that you really heard what I was saying I'm not bashing him I was answering questions just as now I'm answering yours 340-9585 for your live calls and questions uh, if you're outside the local area, 877-630-5757. Here is a question for, from Jeremy. He said, Pastor Ron, why would Samson be listed in Hebrews chapter 11? Uh, Jeremy, a couple of things. One, uh, a week from tonight, I'm going to be doing Samson uh, in, in our Hebrews chapter 11 uh, passage. Um, I... I probably could rush through and get to him tonight, but I'm not going to do that. I don't want to rush through uh, any of this stuff. Um, but but Samson would be listed in Hebrews 11 because of his faith. He's not listed because of his perfect faith. Nobody in that chapter had perfect faith. Um, he's listed to demonstrate that God is faithful when we're faithless. He's listed to demonstrate the New Testament principle that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And aren't you glad, Jeremy, that Jesus uses the example when talking about faith, if you have just a faith as small as a mustard seed, a tiny, 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 tiny seed, then you can move mountains with that faith. Well, as wasted as Samson's potential was, as carnal as Samson was, with his last breath of life, he honored the Lord. His life was such, Jeremy, that at the end of his life, they poked out his eyes and they were making sport of him is what the literal translation says in Hebrew. They were they were making fun of him, but mocking him. There's something about being humbled. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And at that moment, Samson's faith was mustered. Give me one more chance, Lord. That was repentance and faith combining. The Bible says he killed more in his death than he did during his life. We know he killed a lot of people during his life, the Philistines, the enemies of God. So just the right time he came back. I'm grateful. I'm really grateful, Jeremy, that the people in Hebrews chapter 11 are not people whose faith was impossible for us to believe we could we could emulate. Uh, tonight I'm going to be talking about um, Gideon. Um, Gideon started out small and God did great things then he got a little too big for his britches we'll be talking about Barak who really had no courage at all going to be talking about Rahab who was a prostitute and people always ask well why is she in there she lied does that mean God accepts life no it's because she had just enough faith and was willing and able to publicly declare it that God used her. That was a woman, by the way, who ended up in the genealogy of Jesus. So I think that's pretty good. 
me see, two minutes. Let me get a question I can answer for two minutes. I can do this one. Greg wants to know, was Martin Luther King saved? Greg, I have no way of knowing that. He was a reverend, a minister of the gospel. Um, There seems to be ample evidence that he lived a duplicitous life. Uh, Clearly, he was a great man. Um, At the same time, he was a flawed man. Um, Lots of eyewitness account of his adultery, his faithfulness to his wife, to God. Um, But was he saved? That's between him and Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. He wasn't saved because he did great things. If he was saved, he was saved because he believed in and accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. You know, the truth, Greg, for all of us, and we need to to really think about this when we're wondering about people's eternal souls. Um, A lot of us fail. At the very least, Martin Luther King was a flawed Christian who failed. Was he really saved? That's only for God to know. And I think too often we want our heroes to be saved. We overlook their flaws. The result is that we end up with these kind of questions. So, Greg, I don't know if he was saved or not. hope so. We have 30 minutes left in the week. Phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show. Quick reminder, uh, I'm going to be in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com if you're interested. Uh, we've got room on Friday night, so if you're looking for something to do. What a great way to spend it with the body of Christ. Uh, We invite you to join. You should meet some of the great people in the world. Let's go to San Antonio now and talk with Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Hi, I've got two questions. And the first one is, um, when we go to heaven, what do you suppose we'll know as far as information as to stuff that happened before we died? Like, um, you know, just how things happened in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what got me on that today was uh, the other day I was reading in um, Matthew 4.11 and Mark 1.13. Uh, both talk about after Jesus was tempted that the angels came and ministered to him. Well, they they say attended him, but somewhere along mm-hmm. there, I read the word ministered to him, and I have no clue how how I got there unless it's in one of the other gospels. But I'm wondering, what do you suppose they did? Did did they come like in human form, because of you know where it says that be care be you know beware because angel people have entertained angels mm-hmm. unaware. And do you suppose this isn't supposed to sound funny, but do you suppose they kind of caught him something and cooked him something and kind of <laughs> caught him with water and bathe and, and and just kind of ministered to him and and then I was thinking how cool it must have been for the angels to get to come and take care of Jesus. It's it just the whole thing, you know. I, I just kind of wonder if we'll have this big video, you know, thing that we'll get to see. So I'll I'll leave you with that and listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. I love the way your brain works. Uh, let me first let, let me let me first say that um, you probably got the minister to him from the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, that's when angels came and ministered to him. And the inference I think is is crystal clear there that Jesus was so physically close to death after his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood, that that had the angels not come and ministered to him. Um, uh, he wouldn't have lived physically. So they they came and they brought a source of strength 
uh, to get through the the ordeal that was ahead. So I, I think in chapter 4 it says they attended him, but in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, um, they came and ministered to him, and the idea there is is in a physical sense. Uh, I also am pretty sure, Cindy, that angels didn't have to cook anything or prepare anything, uh, but whatever they brought Jesus after going 40 days without water and 40 days without food and then going through the ordeal of temptation, um, I'm sure that, that whatever they brought uh, was ready. Now, angels, you know, they've always ministered before the throne of God. And so this would be an honor for an angel. And it's not just one of those things, yeah, an angel showed up. Jesus wouldn't be in awe of an angel at all. The angel would be in awe of him. It's only humans who are in awe of angels. So uh, I think, Cindy, that um, uh, they brought him what he needed. That would have been food. That would have been water. Uh, I imagine that they would have um, helped him clean up just a little bit you know, from from the wilderness. But but they would be a source of strength. And most of all, uh, I think they would have brought him some living water, some manna from heaven. I think they would have brought the exhortation from the Father. That's all Jesus would have needed to keep going. You know, Cindy, you didn't mention this, but I always find it... Uh, um, troubling in, in, a, in a sense that we have a, a tendency to think that whenever we're in trouble or whenever we're being tempted by the devil that, that it's it's out of God's will. But, but remember, the very first thing Jesus did after being baptized and then the Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove was to go out to be tempted. It was God's will that his son was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights just like you and for me. And after 40 days of not eating and drinking, the devil shows up, of course, tempting him face to face and um, kind of shows you what a coward is. He comes to us when we are the weakest. So, Cindy, good question. Thank you very, very much. I hope that, hope that helps. Here is an important question from Donald. He says, why won't God give me victory over drinking and smoking? He delivered me from other stuff, but not this. Well, Donald, probably... Um, I, I, you know, you, you sound like a relatively new believer. Uh, probably he delivered you from the stuff that would have killed you, stuff that you couldn't do on your own. And he left the stuff in your life so that you could learn to fight. Think about this. God already gave you victory over drinking and smoking. That doesn't mean you stopped. But you keep doing it, not because you have to, but because you want to. You make that choice. And you can say, well, I don't want to smoke. I don't want to drink. But God won't give me victory. God leaves things in our lives to teach us how to fight. I one time was ministering to, uh, um, um, it was a small Joy of Jesus outreach on the west side of town. And uh, while we were ministering, there was a guy that came up who was just crazy high. Um, Asked him what he'd been doing. He'd been doing heroin. He'd been doing all kinds of other things. And he was loud and he was obnoxious and um, um, trying to disrupt what we were doing. And I remember just sort of taking him by the shoulders very gently and looking him in the eye and telling him, sober up. And before my eyes, with lots of witnesses, he was instantly sober. God delivered him from that which would kill him. He also received Jesus Christ And yet God is going to leave some of those things in his life so he can make the choice. So here's what God wants for you, Donald. And and please hear my heart on this. He wants you to realize that because he delivered you from some other stuff, he's also delivered you from the drinking and smoking. What he's asking you to do with drinking and smoking is give them by your own free will. You make the choice to give them to him. If you do that, imagine the smile on his face. Yes, he trusts me. Yes, he believes me. I too often think, Donald, that as Christians we're taught in some really, really bad churches that all we have to do is say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, and suddenly we're saved. 
I, I mean, listen to the criticism I'm getting just from mentioning that Donald Trump is acting like a, an unbeliever. People think he's saved when there's no demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's immaturity. Well, it's also immature to expect that God is just going to wave a magic wand and take away temptation. He doesn't do that. There's nowhere in the scriptures that he does that. And he leaves things in your life to teach him, to teach you rather, to fight. And you win those fights by letting him doing the fight for you. Donald, let me ask you to do this. Read Genesis chapter 32, Jacob's wrestling match with Jesus. It's not very long. Just read it two or three times and let the Lord really minister to your heart about how to have victory over drinking and smoking. God has given you the victory. He has triumphed over sin. He has dealt a death blow to our flesh. And when we let our flesh live, when we give in to temptation, it's not his fault. It's ours. Let me know how the Lord speaks to your heart. Natalie wants to know, this is always a hard question for me, can I have your thoughts on the social justice gospel? Natalie, I think the, the, the most important thing to say is that it's not the gospel at all. We're not to proclaim a, a social justice gospel. We're to proclaim Christ, the good news, that Christ was born, that he lived, that he died, that he didn't stay dead, he rose again. For the remission of sins, that he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the only gospel you're going to find in the pages of your Bible. Jesus said, I came to bring good news, not just to the rich, not just to the religious, to the poor, to the lost, the hurting, and the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. We have good news. That's the only gospel our Bibles contain. Those who are preaching a social justice, so-called gospel, are eliminating the one person who can meet people where they are and deal with their issues. You know, I can't stop sex trafficking. I can't stop the immigration flow, illegal or otherwise, across our border. As much as I'd like to, I can't stop 65 million babies being murdered in our country. I can't make people be kind. I can't do enough good things. But I can give them Jesus. And to get drug into a social justice gospel is to get your eyes off of Jesus. It's to get your eyes off of the, the one who is the only answer to the problems in this life. So, Natalie, there is no such thing as a social justice gospel. There are those who want to change the world. And they'll never have success doing that. But there are those of us who want to proclaim Christ risen from the dead. Crucified and risen. And we can change the world by changing people one convert at a time. That's the good news. So I hope that makes sense, Natalie. Thank you for the question. Lewis wants to know, why didn't Paul say what he saw when he went to heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Uh, Lewis, the answer to the question is simple. It's explained to us. Uh, Man is not permitted to tell those things. Um, He went to heaven. He saw things that are inexpressible, things that he couldn't find words for. But he also tells us that man, he was told, is not permitted to share those things. Now, there's a couple of things about that. You know, Paul had to be obedient, so he didn't share. He hinted around at the glory that he saw there, but, but he couldn't share the things God told him not to share. It also is a proof text for those who have written books or made movies claiming they went to heaven and they saw all these glorious things. These are mostly false teachers um, from the, the prosperity health and wealth gospel movement um, who want to convince you that they're more spiritual than, than than ordinary people. So yeah, God took me to heaven and God did this and God showed me that none of that happened. If somebody's been to heaven, 
They're not going to come back and give us the details because man is not permitted to tell. So whatever Jesus' reasoning was for not letting him share what he saw, that's between him and the Lord. Paul was faithful and obedient to do so. Let's go to Jeff calling on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jeff. Hey, uh, Thank you. Paul is not on the show today. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> Only once this week, Jeff. Yeah, she, uh, she's rebooting today. Yeah, she is rebooting today. <laughs> and right now she's laughing with you, Jeff. That's right, I know. Hey, uh, I, I really... What if you go back a, a little bit to the first five minutes you started having the worship conversation and... You know, a lot of a lot of small churches are really in a dilemma with worship music and think that they have to pay a band to come in and lead worship. And a lot of times, you know, it's been going on for, for probably at least a decade or more. Mm-hmm. But they'll pay semi-professional musicians that may not have really any relationship to the church. They just learn some worship songs. They come out of their out of their club band or out of the bar on Saturday, and, and they're they're leading worship songs on Sunday and getting compensated for it. Uh, I know on one occasion that uh, visited a church where the where the musician uh, would walk out the back and, and have a smoke while the sermon was going on and be back inside <laughs> to do this. Last set. Now I'm just wondering. You know, there's such a such a difficult area when we talk about compensating musicians, and why do we? I mean, I appreciate appreciate very much what you said that it's a hard thing. Now we need to be constantly praying for our worship leaders that it's not about the quality, and we don't have to duplicate the world because we're not in the world. So. You don't have to be arrogant. You don't have to be, you know, as detail-oriented as we are out in the world. We don't want that anyway. I mean, that's not what that's not what worship is about. I'd rather have someone that's that's less of a player but has a true heart for God. You know. So, I wonder if you just comment about that about um, you know, how 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 does smaller out of this this trap of... Uh, yeah, I can. Thank you, Jeff. I can... Uh, thank you, Jeff. I can do that. Uh, Jeff Jeff doesn't go to our church, but Jeff is Calvary Chapel to the core. You know, um, a couple of things. And, and uh, you know, we had experience of being a small church. Um, probably we didn't do... I didn't do a lot of things right. But one of the things that I did really well is I made sure that the people who represented the Lord had a relationship with Him. We didn't try to do more than we could do. Uh, there is enormous pressure on, on small churches to have, you know, uh, Hillsong worship or Jesus culture type worship and smoke and light shows and things like that. We want to be good. Um, earlier in the, in the program, Jeff, you remember a question we had about Strange Fire. When we have unbelievers leading worship, when we're paying them to do what they ought to do out of the gratitude of their hearts toward God, we're offering strange fire. And we're not setting an example for our congregations. And again, I understand we have been so marketed, we've been brainwashed to believe that we got to have cool worship, we got to be a church that can, can, can provide all of the needs, and we just plug people in without testing him. And I never did that. You know what we did for worship, Jeff, at Calvary Chapel when we started? I remember I had 13 people my very first night. That was the biggest crowd we had for two years. Paula sang a cappella and led people in worship until God brought somebody who knew three chords on a guitar and I knew his heart was right before God. I knew Paula's heart. I knew that she was in the presence of the Lord. I knew that she was singing with integrity. 
And the idea that, that, oh, we just have to have cool worship is to misunderstand what worship really is. And I just think that is a tragedy that small churches get dragged into. And every time I see uh, an example of a church paying unbelievers or, or paying musicians, even if they're believers, to come in and perform, um, then you feel like something is missing. Let me tell you a quick story, Jeff. There was a, um, before 9-11 now, um, um, I used to have keys to Randolph Air Force Base. Uh, I was teaching a Monday night Bible study uh, on on Randolph, and at one point we had a few people coming, and it was really a neat opportunity, and I had keys to the buildings and everything that was there. And um, I remember one of the, the uh, chaplains coming to me and saying, look, would you please get some people and come to our Sunday night service? We're going to do a Sunday night modern worship service. And I said, well, what do you mean come? We, we weren't doing Sunday nights at the time. Uh, we were so new. And um, um, he said, yeah, we're, we're just going to start something, and we could use all the support we can get, so would you please come? And so I said, yeah, we'll get a few people, and we'll come over on Sunday night and see what it's all about. And uh, when the worship team came out, and this was in, in the, uh, in the, uh, the uh, sanctuary uh, on base, um, they sang the same songs we sang. Um, they were competent musicians, and their voices were pleasant. Um, but when I heard the songs, I, I leaned over to Paul and said, boy, there's just something wrong, something's missing. Later to find out from the chaplain that, that they were hiring a group of musicians, um, though they, they were believers, they were hiring, group of, hiring a group of musicians to come in and, and lead worship because they wanted to see this contemporary worship service grow. And you could tell something was missing, and what was missing was the heart of Jesus. So, Jeff, it's strange fire. It shouldn't be done. It, it drives me crazy. Um, part of it is because we pastors, we succumb to the pressure to be cool, to, to, to be relevant. Um, part of it is, sadly, because the people um, are so shallow in their faith, they won't come unless they're being entertained. And I think that's a problem in the church culture altogether. So that's one of the reasons that these mega churches grow so big because they 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 really put on a carnal performance. They talk about Jesus, but they don't talk about sin. They talk about Jesus, but they don't talk about him being really the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Um, we bring itching ears, and our ears get scratched, and we pretend that church, and it's just not. Jeff, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. That's a sad, sad commentary on the church. We have five minutes left in the week. Art says, Pastor Ron, can a person become so evil that there is no turning back? Art, the answer is yes. Uh, on, on earth, we don't know where that line is, but God does. Remember, he gave the Amorites 400 years to repent, and they didn't, and then they were wiped out. Um, um, I've seen people get so, so evil that there was no light coming from them at all, even some of them who were professing believers. And there is always a line. We don't know where it is, but God knows exactly where it is that we cross that line and we're gone. There's no turning back. Now, because we don't know, Art, where that line is, what we do continually then is keep proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, rightly representing him, uh, the people that we care about, but, but always proclaiming the message of Christ. They, they reject it as between them and the Lord. Here is... Let me see here. Here is a question from our radio line from our mobile app. Uh, what is your feeling, it's anonymous, what is your feeling about an article in the news today saying that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran and it's led primarily by women? I'm excited and concerned at the same time uh, that it appears men are not stepping up. Um, you know, anonymous, God will use whoever he used. He, he used a donkey in the Old Testament. And in the absence of male leadership, God will use women to step up. Um, I did not read the article. I saw the headline. Uh, 
but I did not read the article, so I don't have any detail uh, to talk about. But uh, if if it's true that the fastest growing church in the world is Iran, then God bless the people there. God bless the women that are stepping up. They're taking their lives uh, in, into their own hands. They're literally putting them in the hands of, of the Lord. Uh, and God will use them. If the men won't step up, God will use them. What he will do eventually, if God is going to really have a revival, a move of his spirit uh, in Iran, then he will use these women to raise up men, and the men will then take over. God will use anybody and everybody who is is available, anybody who will be be used and again I'm going to read the article but but if it's if it's as it appears um then um boy we ought to keep those Christians in our prayers continually uh because it's going to be really really hard for them. our leading primarily uh, God will raise up men God will will take anybody and and use them I think of of Lydia um I think of of uh, Priscilla uh, Philip's four daughters, who were prophetesses. Uh, I think about Deborah. She's going to be mentioned in my study tonight on Barak. Um, what, what we're going to do is is uh, we're going to see the move of the Holy Spirit. So, Anonymous, pray for them and keep them in your prayers constantly. And thank God that there are some women stepping up. Uh, you know, when Barak was told by Deborah to go and God will deliver the enemy in your hands, he said, "Well, no, I'm not going unless you go with me." Um, even men with small faith, let God raise them up in Iran. And let's see, I'd love to see a move of God's Spirit in in uh, in the Middle East altogether. That would be a great thing. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Been a good week on the program. I appreciate your calls and your questions. May the Lord bless you and keep you this weekend. When you go to church, be a vessel that God can use. Find somebody who needs to be ministered to, and you step up and do it. May the Lord richly bless you this weekend. Lord running, I'll be back Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.